Well, good evening, good evening. If you're visiting with us tonight, we just our first Saturdays are a little bit of a unique service for us. We've, we're setting them aside for times for uh, extended prayer and worship. So uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the moment that we're going to step into is to, is to look into a story. And, and my hope is that as we look into the story, it's going to inspire faith in you. For some of you, I believe it's going to inspire faith in you to trust Christ with your life for the first time. And for others, I believe that it's going to inspire faith in you to step into these moments of prayer that are going to be available to you, that God wants to meet a need in your life in a divine and supernatural way. So Father, as we step into these next few moments together, I pray that you would make our hearts ready. Even as we've already spent some time in worship, even as we've already spent some time in prayer, even as we've already spent some time just in fellowship and in giving in generosity, God, we know that all of those things, they begin to break up the hardness of our hearts. And we pray that your word would have a perfect work in us to make us ready for everything that you want to do in us and through us. In Christ's name, come on. And everybody said, amen. I just keep thinking about those cookies. Anybody else? We had all the, the college young professionals over our house last night. We do what we call First Fridays, and we open up our home, and I know, come on. And, uh, and so we did, like, uh, as a continuation of last week's uh, message on sexuality, we continued that conversation in a Q&A uh, with all of our CYP. We probably had about 30 or so people packed in on our back porch. And with a topic of conversation like that, you would assume that it would spur a debate after. But the debate after was, had nothing to do with sexuality. It was whether or not oatmeal raisins cookies and chocolate chip cookies should be mentioned in the same sentence. I know. So as soon as you were talking about the cookie reception, right, I was like, here we go. So I'm an oatmeal raisin. Anybody else an oatmeal raisin person in here? All right, come on. There's a few of us. And who are the chocolate chip cookie people in here? All right. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's free to be wrong in their life. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. So I hope there's some chocolate chip cookies for you and some oatmeal raisins for me when we get down to the cafe. If you've got your Bible, you can turn to Luke 19. Luke 19, love this story. Such a powerful text for us tonight, for where we're headed. I'm gonna read the first 10 verses. This is the story of Zacchaeus. Many of you are familiar with the story. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. And there was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region. We're gonna talk about that in just a minute. And he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called to him by name. He said, Zacchaeus, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. And Zacchaeus quickly climbed down, this is verse 6, and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be a guest of a notorious sinner. Not just a sinner, but a notorious sinner. Verse 8, meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor. And Lord, if I have cheated people on their taxes, we're going to talk about that because really what he's saying is because I've cheated people, I will give them back four times as much. In addition to giving half of his wealth. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek 
and to save those who are lost. Now I want to share a few things about this story that I love. One of the things I love about this story is that Jesus knew Zacchaeus' name. He knew his name. He didn't just say, hey you, little guy up in the tree, come down. He calls him by name. Now if you're a bit of a cynic, then maybe you've got the impression that Jesus had somebody that kind of traveled around with him in his entourage, right? Because he's on his messianic campaign and this is his campaign manager whispering in his ear as they go into prominent towns like Jericho was and say, hey, if there's a little guy that you see that's dressed really nice, his name's Zacchaeus, he can make a big contribution to our cause and so you might want to remember his name so you can garner some influence with him, but that's not how Jesus operates. Jesus is not running for an office that he already holds because he's the king of kings and he's the creator of the universe. He knows Zacchaeus' name not because someone had to whisper in his ear. He knows Zacchaeus' name because he's known him from the foundations of the earth. The Bible tells us that God knows us from the beginning. And he's not just talking about from the beginning for when we were born. He's talking about from the beginning from when the earth began. So when God said, let there be light and set everything into motion and created, you know what he also set into motion? He set into motion you. And he saw you in that moment in creation and he saw the destiny and the purpose that he plans for you and he knew your name even in that moment. And he knows your name tonight. We're not just a nameless face in humanity as God looks down from heaven. We're not just some number on a list or a speck on a population chart. It's personal with him because he's our father and he loves us with an indescribable love. He knew his name and he knows your name. He was there 2,000 years ago and he's here tonight and he's speaking your name to you and he has something that he wants to say to you tonight. There is a reason that when Jesus first comes to us, that it feels like we've known him our entire lives, and it's because you have. Even if you've been unaware of the relationship that you have with him, because maybe even the sound of his name is a stranger to you tonight, if you've not spent any time around church or any time reading the Bible, but there's something even now in the service, there's something now even in the story, there's a part of you that feels connected to him, and that's because he made you, and he knows your name. The other thing I love about this story is that Jesus was not afraid of Zacchaeus' sin. He wasn't afraid of his sin. Now he knows his name, and now he's, he's, we see that he's not afraid of his sin. There's a reason why Zacchaeus was called a notorious sinner. Now we know that we're all sinners, but let's hope that we're not known to be a notorious sinner. Right? That we're edging out everybody else when it comes to evil. But that's a fair description of who Zacchaeus was. Now let me just... now you. You might not be a big fan of the IRS, but we can just agree it's, it's still an honest living. But it wasn't 2,000 years ago. I want you to imagine if the Taliban were to able to raise a worldwide army, come to America and conquer us and occupy this great country, and that you and I were living under their occupation. And the person sitting next to you, probably somebody with a Philadelphia Eagles jersey on, I know, see? I know, I've got to work it in a little bit. I'm a Redskins fan, and we don't have much to cheer for once the season starts, right? So I've got to work it in now. I want you to imagine that the person next to you decides to go to work for the Taliban. And they say, I'm going to work for them to collect taxes from you. 
because that's what a conquering army does. They come in and they levy taxes, at least they did in ancient times, and that's how they amassed their wealth. But it took people from them who knew those that were there to work for them as traders. And that's what a tax collector was in Jesus' day. In fact, Jesus, one of his disciples is Matthew, who's a tax collector. Which means that they were responsible for going around to the people and collecting the taxes that the conquering army, in this case was Rome, required. But they didn't just collect, collect the tax that was due. They used it as an opportunity to enrich themselves. So when they collected the taxes, they took enough to enrich themselves And then Matthew would have had a boss like Zacchaeus, who was a regional tax collector, and Matthew would collect the taxes that were due, the money that he wanted to keep for himself, and then he had to collect even more because he knew Zacchaeus would take a cut, and then Rome would need to get theirs. Imagine if the person sitting next to you was doing that for the Taliban, right? I think you could probably say that would be a notorious sin. I think sometimes we read these stories and we look at these people who are sinners and we have compassion on them, and we do because we know the end of the story, but we forget that in the moment, it was hard to love some of these people because they were traitors. It was hard to love some of these people because of the choices that they were making. So the fact that Jesus would choose him to go into his home, you can appreciate why the people grumbled and were upset because it gave them pause. Why would Jesus, of all the people's homes that he could go into and have a meal on this day, why would he pick Zacchaeus? Because Jesus was not afraid of Zacchaeus' sin. And he's not afraid of your sin either. You might come into church settings like this and it makes you uncomfortable because of your past. You might come into a church setting like this and it makes you uncomfortable because of your present. And the question that you might be asking yourself tonight is not just, is God afraid of my sin? Will he reject me because of what I've done, what I've done and who I am? But you're probably also asking the question, will the people here reject me because of who I am and what I've done? You might be asking the question, is that guy up there on the stage talking, is he going to be afraid of my sin? I think a lot of people are not interested in Christianity because of Christians that they've met. And what I would say to you as a church, we're trying to change that. And that this is a safe place to talk about your past. It's a safe place to unpack your present, as Tammy was talking about in the life group clip, that this is a place that no matter who you were or who you are or who you're planning to become, that we're not afraid of the part of your story that you're questioning as to whether or not it's too big for God to say to you, I forgive you. God is big enough to have a conversation with us about all the things that we've done wrong. And he's looking for people who will be a part of those conversations on his behalf and not run from you when the story unfolds, but embrace you all the more, just like Jesus was doing with Zacchaeus. He knows his name. He's not afraid of his sin. And this is my favorite part, is that Jesus doesn't see Zacchaeus for who he was. He sees him for who he's about to become. He sees him for who he's about to become. It's hard for us, I think, sometimes to envision that we can become some different, someone different than we are today. 
It's hard for us to, when we look into our past, to see that we could, even if we want to, to begin to imagine how we could become a different person. I think one of the reasons why Jesus wants us to know that he sees us for who we're going to become, because he wants us to see ourselves for who we're going to become. I remember for me, it was personal in December of 1990 when I made a vow of devotion to Christ. It was hard for me because of the ugly life that I was living all throughout my teenage years and my young adult years. It was hard for me to imagine that I could be someone different that I had spent so many years becoming. But then I would find myself in services just like this. I would go out of respect for my parents. I was moved back home trying to get my life together and I would be in church services like this and I would be uncomfortable in there just like some of you are uncomfortable now. Because I knew God was calling me to live a different life. And even though there was a part of me that wanted to, there was another part of me that couldn't see how it would even be remotely possible. But God kept whispering to my heart, just like I believe he's whispering to some of you, I don't see you for who you used to be. I don't even see you for who you are right now. I see you for who you're about to become. It's powerful to me when Jesus says to Zacchaeus that salvation has come to his home. Listen to what he says it. In verse 8, it says, Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, which now we know right through explaining it, he has been doing a lot of cheating. I will give them back four times as much. And this is when Jesus responds. Salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. Now, if we're not careful, we will read that to think that Zacchaeus, just like he's been doing as a tax collector, has found favor with God through money, that he's bought his way into the kingdom. But if you know the rest of the stories around this story, you know that that's not the case. What we understand here is that his act of generosity was an indication that there had been a change in his spiritual condition. You see, not only does Jesus know his name, but he sees his heart. And so he knows that in this moment, this expression of generosity, it's what John the Baptist so often preached, that we should produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And so Jesus sees the heart of this man. He sees the change that's happening before him in this very moment, and he declares that Zacchaeus is now a child of God, not because of what he did, but what he did is because of what Christ has now done in his heart. And I believe that for some of you here tonight, he's doing something in your heart. It's interesting, isn't it, how short of a time it took for Zacchaeus to change. All of this probably happened for him in just a few hours. All of this probably happened for Zacchaeus in just a few hours. And for some of you tonight, it can happen in just a few minutes. It doesn't need to take a lifetime for you to turn around and head in a different direction. There is a moment in all of our lives where Jesus comes to us and he calls us by our name. He reminds us that he's not afraid of our sin and that he sees us for who we're about to become. The question is, in those moments, and if for some of you, if that's your moment tonight, will you be like Zacchaeus and step into the moment? Or will you be like the rich young ruler that's a few verses before and turn and walk away? 
There is a reason why the Holy Spirit inspired Luke to put this story of Zacchaeus right behind the story of the rich young ruler because they are parallel stories. They're stories of two men of great wealth. They are stories of two men who came to Christ. These are stories of two men who stood before the same God who knew their name, who wasn't afraid of their sin, who saw them for who they were about to become and gave them a challenge to turn their life over to him. And one walked away and one continued on and made history. The question is, which person are you going to be tonight? I'm going to invite the ushers to come and make the communion table ready. And I'm going to invite the band to come as they begin to make ready for our worship. You see Zacchaeus doing three things, I think, in this story. First, you find that he's curious about Christ. And as I was praying this week, I had such a sense that that was going to be some of you tonight. That for some of you, you've become curiously curious about Jesus over these last several weeks. Maybe the last few months. It could be that you were just riding down the road or maybe you were stuck in traffic at the HRBT and you're just sitting there letting your mind wander. And then all of a sudden you thought about a Bible story that you learned as a child that you haven't thought of in years. That's Christ creating curiosity in you. It might be that you had a chance encounter with a friend who called you up that you haven't talked to in forever and just asked you how you were doing with your walk with Christ and there was a long pause because you didn't want to give them the answer that you knew you needed to tell. That's Jesus creating curiosity in you. Maybe it was you woke up in the middle of the night because there was a dream that you were having about a conversation that you were having with Christ. These are the things that he does to come to us to reach out to us and he creates curiosity and that curiosity causes us to start hanging around the church maybe you're here tonight and you haven't been in church a long time because curiosity brought you to a place of hanging around that this is what this is Achaeus' story for some of you playing out tonight that there was curiosity that's what caused him to climb the tree and then he Jesus came and he was excited that Christ was coming into his home because he wanted to spend some time with this person that he was curious about and some of you are here tonight because you just wanted to be around people who loved God and that curiosity that's led to hanging around has now brought you to a moment of decision I'm going to invite you to stand with me Because I believe there's at least one Zacchaeus that's in this room tonight. One Zacchaeus that's in this room tonight. For somebody here who needs to know that Christ has a vision for the future that you're supposed to live and the person that you're supposed to become. And like me in December of 1990, when I was 23 years old, there's a moment of surrender that we come to. We don't have all the answers. We don't know what it's all going to look like, but we just know that he's the person that we're supposed to be following. So I'm just going to invite you to bow your heads where you are. I just want to create a moment of privacy for everybody that's in the room tonight. And if you're here tonight and you would say, Fred, as I look back over to the story of my life, I can't find a moment in time where I've made a vow of devotion to Christ. I'm just going to invite you to raise your hand where you are. I'm not gonna call you out or make you come up here in front of everyone. This is just between you and God. If you're here tonight, as you look back into the story of your life, you can't find a moment in time where you've made a vow of devotion to Christ. I'm just gonna just slip up your hand where you are. This is your Zacchaeus moment.
So this is my second question I want to ask tonight. If you're here tonight and you would say, Fred, I, I find a moment in time in my life where I made a vow of devotion to Christ, but I've walked away from that commitment. It's not the life that I've been living. It's not the person that I am now. And I know that I need to come back to him. I know that I've got to head back in the direction of who Christ is. If that's you, I'm going to invite you to raise your hand where you are. Just slip it up where you are. Same thing. Just keep it up there for a minute. Some hands popping up. Just keep it up there for a minute. Yeah, it's good. It's good. All right, you can put those hands down. Father, I pray for those people that had their hands up tonight. For people that need to say yes to you for the first time and for the people that need to say yes to you again. And I pray that this Saturday in September is going to be the day that they can look back to and say, that's the day that I started following Christ. That just as Zacchaeus, I'm believing that as decades went by, that he was sitting down and telling a story to someone somewhere of the day that Jesus called him by name. And I pray for the people that had their hand up tonight, that today's going to be the day that they're going to look back to and that that's going to be the day that Jesus is going to speak over them. Salvation has come to your house. Come on, in Christ's name, and everybody said together, amen. Hey, as we go back into worship, these elements are uncovered for you. The bread represents the body of Christ that was broken for us. The cup represents his blood that was shed. And we're going to do a little bit differently tonight. Usually we let you take communion just on your own as you feel led. But tonight as you come get the elements, I'm going to ask you to hold them because I'm going to come back up in just a few minutes and we're going to partake of it together. So as you come, if you could just use these two center aisles and then no matter where you're sitting, you can use the side aisles to find your way back to your seat. As we worship, you come.